get rolling? Record. Yay. Okay. All right. So, good evening. It's uh, great to uh, have more opportunities to move a little bit further in Revelation. A little bit. Although we're in, in chapter 19, I'm not really covering this section right now uh, because I'm helping to build uh, some of the things that surround Jesus' second coming that aren't mentioned in Revelation. So we got basically 11 verses that talk about his coming, but there's a whole lot more that happens. And so we began looking at some passages from last week, um, especially some of the sections from the Old Testament, the uh, the sections in Zechariah chapter 12 and chapter 14 help us understand uh, quite a bit about things that are taking place. So as the Lord returns, um, there is this gathering of all these nations, um, all these different um, peoples that the Antichrist has ruled over. Now we know from starting in chapter 16, uh, as God began pouring out the vials, um, as it talked about the fury of his wrath. And so one thing after another has come down. Then came the judgment of the harlot of Babylon, the religious system. Then came the destruction of Babylon itself and the empire and uh, Antichrist's world empire. But if you notice, if you go back and read those sections in chapter 18, um, what was destroyed was, it was the commerce and all those things. The armies, it didn't even mention. It mentioned the merchants, it mentioned sailors, it mentioned the captains of the sea, it mentioned all these people who were making money through the Antichrist and his empire, but it didn't mention his armies. And so those armies are still in existence, even though the, in a sense, kingdom of Babylon has been destroyed, these armies from nations around the earth have come to Jerusalem. Why did they come? God brought them. He brought them there to destroy them, to judge them, to demonstrate uh, that man in his power, in his attempts to rule, has no power whatsoever. And so we saw some of that in the passages we looked at last week. Um, tonight we're going to move on into uh, some of these other sections. Uh, Matthew 24, starting to, to, toward the bottom of your uh, first page. Matthew 24, I'm, I'm not going back all the way through um, Matthew, but this was Jesus teaching concerning the end and the things that will take place. We covered a lot of that earlier in our sessions, uh, sometime like four or five years ago. <laughs> no, it's not been that long. But anyway, um, Matthew 24 and verse 21 says, For then there will be great tribulation. And so great tribulation is what? The second half of the tribulation. So this is at the three and a half year point. Then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, in other words, God limited them to three and a half years, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The elect there is not the church, because we're already with the Lord. So you hear people make reference to this, and you know about you know, if it wasn't for the elect, yeah, God's timing, we'll all be perished. No, we're with God in heaven. All right. So the church is already saved. This is the elect are who those uh, Jews, tribulation saints, who are still upon the earth, and so. This, uh, the elect God is limited this so that Antichrist's time and oppression of the people would be limited. He has his time. And so, then we look at verse 23. 
Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And so what they want to do is draw people away so that they cannot hear the true message. And then verse 25, See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Why? What is, what's the point here? What is this about telling people that he's here, he's there, whatever? Look at verse 27, top of your next page. Why? Because the Lord's return is not secret. He's not going to come and people say, well, you know, you know where he came? He's, he's over there and... You know, we need to go over there because he's over there. No, his, his return is not going to be secret. It's not going to be hidden. He's not going to come to some wilderness. He's not going to be hidden in some inner room. Now, false Christs and false prophets might to draw people away and cause people to follow after them. But the Lord's return is going to be what? For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, you're going to see him. Now, I've seen lightning bolts. I've told you before, I've tried to take pictures of lightning. It's not easy because you wait for the lightning to start and then it's over. It's, you know, well, okay, so much for that trial. Let me try again. But lightning is great, and we've seen some incredible lightning storms, and you can go on YouTube and Go to weather things, and they'll show you some lightning storms that are, like, super incredible, but never lightning this great that goes all the way from the eastern horizon all the way to the western horizon. This is the coming of the Son of Man. This is the splitting of the heavens, in a sense, uh, to reveal the Son of God. He's not coming to some little wilderness place. He's not out in some grove outside of the of here. Not, not that I'm opposed to Grove, Oklahoma, and pecan groves and all the groves we have. Meg, Meg, he's right up here. So we, we hit him over here in the corner. So, but, um, so, what Jesus is saying is don't believe that there's going to be some secret coming. When I come, everyone's going to Now, his first coming, pretty secret. Now, but there were still signs. Angels singing to shepherds, right? Wise men seeing his star, though it took him two plus years to get to where the Christ was. They recognized the sign. And so, yeah, there were some signs about his coming, but nothing like this. Why? Because he's not coming to save this time. He's coming to judge. And so, this is his purpose. And notice what it says after that. So it will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will be. What? What's that? What are we talking about? Well, hold on to that thought. Because we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. All right? Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. All right? So this is at the end of the three and a half years, second half of the tribulation. At the end, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Whereas there will be no light. No sun, no moon, no stars. So there's going to be this supernatural darkness that is going to come upon the earth. Then, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Wow, what a glory. So God, in a sense, turns out all the lights so that Jesus can be seen. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Now, who are these tribes? Those who have rejected him, those who have not accepted, those who have not believed, those who didn't listen to the message, like the five 
virgins that we talked about a couple lessons ago. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect. Who are those? The believers. So these are any believers, Jew or Gentile, anywhere from around the earth, the four corners of the earth, all over the surface of the earth, the angels are going to gather all of the elect and bring them in from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. So they are to be gathered to the Lord. These are those who have believed. And some through great tribulation, some through incredible persecution, but these are the ones who have lived through. One group of those who lived all the way through this period of time is the 144,000 who live all the way through the tribulation and enter into the millennium. What a glorious thing. All right, and so God is gathering all of these, and those who are gathered will enter into the millennium with him. All right, so these passages reveal some of these teachings. Now, below I put some other passages from the New Testament, Mark 13, Luke 12, Luke 17, Luke 18, some other passages that give some insight to these, but I'm not going to go to all of those. I do want to look at Luke 21, which is Luke's account of the same thing that Matthew wrote in Matthew 24. And Luke says in Luke 21, verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. There's going to be incredible things happening, both in the heavens and on the earth. And there's going to be incredible things happening right here so that the the powers of the earth and even the seas and the, the waves and the mountains are all going to be reflecting these things. Verse 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So all of these things are happening. What? To get people's attention. Mm -hmm. To get their attention. And if they remember the things that the 144,000 said to them, or that their friends witnessed to them, or maybe a family member who was raptured seven years ago, uh, or, or somebody else that witnessed to them, or a Bible that they picked up that some Christian left that's got all the outlines in it. They listened to Pastor Bob, and they've got all the end-time outlines all set up. Uh, his book existed through and into. And so they've read these things. They've heard these things. These signs are there. I believe there will be multitudes that will open their hearts to believe in the last minutes. But if you wait till he comes, no, it's too late. There will be no, when Jesus appears, there will be no receiving of him in salvation because he's not coming to save. He's coming to judge. People say, well, when I see Jesus, I'll accept him. Too late. Too late. And so... This is the chance that God is giving. Everything is shaken. The heavens, the earth, everything is declaring. Look. Open your heart. Believe. The people will, but many won't. Verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, Jesus is saying this about himself. Wow. Just to think of Jesus sitting there and telling all these things to his disciples. And he said, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. Believe believe if you haven't believed before believe now because he is coming 
And then there's many other passages I've written down there, uh, New Testament sections, just little parts of passages from the New Testament that make reference to something about the second coming or something about what God is going to do in that hour and in those minutes. Um, the passage from Second Peter, of course, we've referred to numerous times uh, where Peter talks about people will scoff and say it's been an awful long time. And the Lord is, you know, if he hasn't come yet, he ain't coming. You know, this thing that you've been believing for, and it's just, it's just, you know, uh, spitting in the wind. You are, you're, you're doing nothing. Yeah. And then <laughs> he will appear. Why is God waiting? Why is he waiting? That he might be able to save, right? For God is willing that none perish, but he knows what? He knows they will. It's not what he wants, but it is what's going to happen. Many will not receive him. This uh, interesting passage from the book of Jude, where Jude quotes uh, from Enoch, uh, the book of the Bible that we don't really have in our Bible. Um, people say, well, you know, did uh, did he get that from it? Well, yeah, but it's not saying that God didn't give Jude the same information. And so it was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, behold, the Lord comes, is what he says, with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment and all. Now, the holy ones that are coming with him are not executing judgment. He is. He's the judge. And so these ten thousands of his holy ones. So when the Lord returns, he's not going to just be by himself. There will be ten thousands, not just ten thousand, but ten thousands multiplied, 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 Millions, however many of believers who have been in heaven with him will come with him. And so uh, he will come with his holy ones. Also, the tens of millions of angels. And all of this vast invasion from heaven. Yike. Right? That's going to be, it's overwhelming. Can you imagine being here on the earth and seeing that? I'd rather be in heaven than seeing it, right? So I'm going to be riding one of those horses, but uh, but standing on the earth, seeing the heavens opened, the Son of Man appearing, and this incredible invasion coming with him. But you know what? You waited too long. Because when he appears... It's nothing but judgment. So, this is what he's saying. He's coming to what? Execute judgment. Doesn't say anything about saving people. Because he came once to save. And the second time to bring judgment. To execute judgment on all and convict all of the ungodly. Uh, all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And all of the harsh things and ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There's not an awful lot of ungodliness in that verse. Uh, but what he's trying to say is over and over the things that they have done, what they've said, how they've lived, what they've pursued, everything has been against God. Not of God, ungodly. Not of God. It's not been God's purpose. It's not been his plan. It's not been what he's asked. It's not been what he said. It's not been what he's committed, commanded. It's all been what they wanted in their own hearts. And they won't stand. Finally, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And what? Every eye. Every eye. We're going to see him because we're going to be coming behind him. Others are going to see him from the earth. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, 
Amen. So this is his coming, Revelation 16 and 22. Have a little bit further insight into these things. Now, top of page three, when we're talking about the Lord's Day, or as it's called in Old Testament, the Yahweh's Day, this is the day of the Lord, the day of the Eternal One. This is His day. Now, we've experienced the day of Christ, which is the rapture. Um, we've seen him, and we know that in the last days, right, we've been living in the last days, but this is his day, not our day. It's not the earth's day. It's not the world's day. This is not Jesus coming back to give participation awards. This is him coming back to judge. You either believed or you didn't. Those who believed and died will receive resurrection all during the time of the tribulation. We'll talk about that in our next sessions. But the, the dead from the time of the tribulation will all be raised to life. But we already were at the rapture. We've been with the Lord. And so as we have been with him, so as he returns, all those who died during the tribulation will receive resurrection bodies. And they will be raised to life also so that they might enter into, again, the time of the millennium. But this is a glorious time. And although they're getting this and all these things are happening, it's still what? The Lord's day. It's not the devil's day. It's not the Antichrist's day. It's not the day of all the armies that have come against. It's not even the day of Armageddon. It's the Lord's day. And will they have an incredible battle? Oh, that's kind of a trick question. We want to say yes, but don't. All right, so Ezekiel saw is God revealed numerous things to him, but one of the things Ezekiel saw, and he renamed the holy city, he renamed Jerusalem, the Lord is there. God is present. He's real. He's here. And so this is Elijah's way of, or Ezekiel's way of, declaring it's always going to be Jerusalem it's going to be Jerusalem later but Jerusalem is what the Lord is there of all the things about the Lord's return it's his presence that is emphasized listen to John John knew this and revealed in the fact I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, yeah, I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And for seven years, he's building places, you know. He's been building places for millennia now, 2,000 years. I don't know what he's building my house to be, but whatever it is, it's been taking him a long time. Took us a long time to get back into our house, but nothing compared to this. But Jesus said, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But what, what is that really about? We talked about it a couple lessons ago. It's about the bride. About the bridegroom going away and preparing a place and then he's going to come and get her. And then he's going to take her. That's the rapture. So he prepared a place. And then he came and took his bride and took her away for seven years. And then he's going to return. And the marriage supper and the festival and all of the things that are taking place that we see from a joyous perspective, those who've rejected him will see from a horrific perspective. Jesus said, because what I want is you to be with me. For you to be with me. Luke knew this. It recorded the words 
of the angel at Jesus' ascension, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He came back, he will come back for his own. And that's the way that they will see him return. And then finally, John the Apostle says in Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Or the dwelling of God is with humankind. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Well, aren't we already his people? Yeah, but not like we're going to be. Where God is tangibly present in front of us. When it's a reality of his presence. Yeah, thank God for that spiritual awareness, right, that we have because we're born again and God lives in us. And so we know that we're one with God and he's in us and we're in him and that whole mystery and all of that. That's wonderful. But there is going to be a day when he will be tangibly present with us. And that's what he wants. I was asked by someone one time, he says, well, why does God want us to have bodies? So that we can be with him forever. He wants us to have a body so that we can experience with this body that he created what he wanted us to experience before the fall. To be present with him in a body that he created. To feel, to see, to know, to realize or as Paul said, we were talking about it earlier tonight, as Paul said, right now we see through a glass darkly. <laughs> we see a little bit and we think, wow, we got, look at the revelation I got in the word of God. You know what? I'm just seeing through a darkened mirror. They didn't have perfect mirrors like we have today. Their mirrors, some of them times were just polished copper or maybe another polished even tin if they had that. There were some glass mirrors in that day, but it wasn't like our mirrors. It was, did you ever have one of those old mirrors maybe came from your great grandparents or something like that and the glass is mm-hmm. not perfect. And so when you look at it, your eyes out of place. It's like, what's, what's wrong here? There's something, I don't quite look like me. Uh, we can just, we just see God a little bit. Now, the, the, the fallacy of that passage, which comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is that a great portion of the church has decided that what that passage is talking about is the Word of God. And when that which is perfect has come, we will see even as we're seen, we'll be known as we are known, um, and we won't need anything else. And so their interpretation is that it's, once the Bible had been given then there was no more use for the gifts. There's no more use for God talking to us. There's no more use for God revealing himself to us. Uh, We see God perfectly because we have a Bible. Uh, Really? Then why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many different interests? If the Bible was supposed to solve all of that, it doesn't seem like it did. And then second of all, how long was it till everybody had a Bible? Or everybody could have a Bible? Oh, at least 1,500 years before they could print one. And even then, it took a lot of money to have one. Did you know that through the time of the, of the Middle Ages, most of the priests couldn't even read? So it wouldn't matter if they'd had a Bible anyway. All they knew was the rote memory of what they'd been told to give to their congregations. They were told what they were supposed to say. They didn't have a Bible to check it out. People sitting in the pews didn't have a Bible to check out whether he was saying the right things or not. So the first men who translated the Bible into the language of the people were put to death. Because you're telling people to read and they're going to read and they're going to find out that what I'm saying isn't true good (laughs) and those early men who suffered incredibly for what they did gave birth to the reformation 
And at just at the same time that the Reformation was coming, at the same time a man was inventing a, a machine that could print Bibles and they would have books and people could understand. It was the same time that men had studied enough Greek that they could translate the Greek Bible into English instead of translating the Latin, which had been translated from Greek, into the language of the people. It was an incredible period of time, and within just a short number of years, all of that came to pass. But if that which is perfect, what's that? Well, they had the creeds before, but the creeds don't tell you what the Bible says. So the point being that that which is perfect cannot be the Bible. Because there were centuries when people didn't have Bibles, couldn't have Bibles, and didn't understand the language that was even being spoken from the pulpit. Many of the people didn't understand Latin. They didn't understand what the priest was saying. They knew what to say in response, but they didn't know how to interpret what was actually being said, how to understand what was there. So, what is that which is perfect in 1 Corinthians 13? When that which is perfect is come, Jesus, <laughs> the Son of God, that's what is perfect. And when he comes... Then we'll have no more need for gifts of the Spirit, for words of wisdom or knowledge or trading or learning. Why? Because I won't be seeing through a glass darkly. I will be seeing face to face. I'll know as I am known. And then we will be also made perfect in his presence. It's the coming of the Lord. The interesting thing, again, study church history. Um the man who many people consider the one of the fathers of the Protestant movement, the Reformation, John Calvin. You know what he believed that which is perfect was? Jesus. Why don't they listen to him? I mean, there's whole movements of the church that hold on to that which is perfect. Now, that which is perfect is Jesus and there is a day we will see him. That's where we're headed. Because what he wants is for us to be with him forever. Not just to be taught. Thank God for his word. I, I, you know, how, how can I thank God enough for the scriptures that he's given us? How can we thank God enough for the revelation that comes to us through the word of God and that God gave us teachers and those who will help us to understand and men who've translated those things into a Bible so that we could read it? I thank God for that. But much more glorious than that will be the Lord's presence. Now, in all of our looking at Old Testament passages, there's no better passage to help us understand what takes place as we come to Armageddon than Joel chapter 3. There's other passages. There's Daniel and all those, and I don't have time. If I got into those, we would never leave um, and never get out of Revelation 19. But anyway, there is no better picture of God's preparation. Joel chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible... Open it there. I've got the verses in here. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 because from 17 on he begins talking about the millennium. But this is Joel giving the revelation that God gave to him of something that is going to happen at the end of time. All right? So I'll give you time to find Joel. Uh, if you have a device, you just push a button. All right, so Joel chapter 3 and verse 1 says, For behold, in those days. So here's, a, here's, here's language that directs us to something specific. In those days, at that time. And so here's, here's a time when God is, is revealing something that is going to happen. Now, 
we could follow in chapter 2, but I don't have time to go all the way back into chapter 2, which actually follows chapter 1, and we don't have time to go back to there. Uh, but Bob Yandian has a series on Joel. So, um, behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, when I restore. Now, thank God Israel's come back to their land. But has God restored to them everything? So we're talking about a future restoration, not just a handful of people living in the land. We're talking about God giving them back everything that has been taken from them, right? And we're talking of centuries of, of raping the people of Israel, of murdering and persecuting and stealing and, and maligning scorning all the evil that has happened to this one group of people when I restore the fortunes of Jerusalem. Who's going to do this? I am. I will restore. Yes, Jesus. When I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. The valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, most commentators that I read, they, they don't see that. The Valley of Joshua was actually south down into uh, what we know of as the Dead Sea area. But what this really should be done is translated. Joshua means God has judged. The valley where God has judged. Right? So this is also the Valley of Judgment, we could say. But why? Because that's what this is all about. God's going to gather all these people and he's going to bring them to this valley of judgment. Now, as I put in my notes, there's no uncertainty here. <laughs> no uncertainty about this. it. God has said it. It will happen. God has judged. And so this is the statement, which is what the name Jehoshaphat means. Not God will judge. Not God can judge. Not God might judge. God has judged. In the heart and the mind of God, it's already established. Either believe in his son or you do not. That's it. It's not about, well, I did all these good things and look what I have and look what I bought and what have I, I've got all these things. No, it won't matter. God is already judged by one thing, his son. Have you accepted, believed in the Messiah, the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what it's all about. The sentence and the execution are all that's going to happen. God's going to read the sentence and he's going to carry out the execution. But the judgment has already been made. And then second of all, he will gather them. They're not coming on their own accord. It doesn't say they will come. He says, I will gather them. So all these nations are going to come against the Lord in these last days. Uh, I don't know whether it's a battle that lasts, you know, all these people get there in one day, or it, it's weeks of the last months of the tribulation time, but all these nations will come. Nations from the east, nations from the south, nations from the north, nations from the west. They will all gather to this one place. Why? Because God brought them there. Not because the Antichrist told them to. Not because he said they had to. Because God gathered them. It's like he put out a net and he drew them in. And that's what he's done. And so he goes on and says, And I will enter into judgment with them on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel. So the main essence of this judgment is going to be, What have you done with my people? What have you done? Did you recognize that these were the people of God? That the Messiah that they proclaimed is the true Son of God, that he is the one who is the Savior? Have you accepted and believed my people? 
Or have you put them to death? Have you sold them as slaves? Have you given them away? Have you raped them and pillaged and, and killed them? What have you done? God will judge on behalf of his people and his heritage. So God's going to take up their cause. And I put this in the notes. They will not be defending themselves. He didn't ask them to bring all their weapons with them and make sure because there's a mighty army coming against you. Now, I know. I like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I've watched all the episodes. There's going to be no fighting of all those people. There's no dying on our side. All the dying is on the other side. All right. I'll move on. Because they have scattered them among the nations, is speaking about God's people, the Jews, divided up my land. They've cast lots for my people and traded a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. Verse 4. I can't help but God's sarcastic taunting of these people is pretty incredible. You know, we didn't invent sarcasm. God did. And he's not afraid to use it. All right? So here he says, What are you to me, Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? What, what are you to me? Are you paying me back for something? Are you coming here to, to, to pay me back for what you've taken? Is that what you're doing? If you're paying me back, I'll return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. I'm not going to take it. You cannot pay me back for what you have rejected. There is no payment for mankind for rejecting the Messiah, for rejecting God's purpose and his plan. There is none. Now, there are people that teach that, well, hell is, is not really uh, eternal. Hell is not forever We've talked about that already, but to just say it again, you, you're not paying God back. There is no purgatory. There is no place in hell where you're going to be paying God back for something that you may have done. There is no earning of your salvation after you have died. If you can't earn it here, you're not going to earn it after you're dead. There's no repayment God taunts them with this. Says, Are you going to return to me for what you've taken? I won't take it. I'll throw it back upon you. Verse 5, For you have taken my silver and my gold. You have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them from far from their own border. Behold, I will stir up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. In other words, there is no way you can repay this. You can't, and you won't. And this is God's proclamation, and, and that little statement at the end of verse 8, for the Lord has spoken. It cannot be any stronger. It can't be in big enough capitals in the, in the passage. Basically, it is, I say so. That's it. And you can't argue with God. It's over. So now he comes back. A little more sarcasm. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. God's, bring it on. Get your best. Consecrate yourself. Work. Go off. Have your have your war dances and get prepared and put on your war paint and and go through all your rituals and get get ready. Come on. Get your best men together. Put them in front. Bring them to me. 
come up. Verse 10. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Take, take everything you have and turn them into weapons because you're going to need them. You're going to need a lot of weapons. If you're going to fight me, you're going to need a lot of weapons. Now, listen, God's just taunting them. Why? Because he's not going to fight them. There's no fight. There's no fight. It's over. God speaks a word. It's done. It's like, that's not a great way to end a movie. <laughs> we need 10, 15 minutes. You know, I, some of those movies, you know, it comes toward the end and, and I need to maybe get up and make a bathroom call, you know, because I've drank too much Coke or whatever. And, and I can't leave because they're not going to pause the movie for me. So, like, like, no, I want, I want an ending that's half the movie. Don't just come up to the end and all this great army and everybody's coming and you're all these people coming from heaven and all this massive invasion from, from God and, and all of the armies of the world gathered into this valley and it's like, wow, this is going to be the greatest battle scene ever and bang, it's over. Like, what? <laughs> the end. like this is every director's nightmare <laughs> let the weak say i'm a warrior tell all tell all your weak people they're heroes let everybody that's weak proclaim i'm a warrior now i know people have taken these passages and they've used them as confessions for us this passage is not to the church it's not to us it's about the enemy there is a day when we used to sing a song blow a trumpet in zion it was the stupidest worship song ever invented <laughs> absolutely the stupidest it was the most unbiblical the most wrong taken out of context i hated it from the first time but i sang it God has forgotten. I haven't. All right. This is not, you can't build yourself up here. Oh, tell all your warriors, they're great. They're champions. They're heroes. Whew, we're ready to go. Now, I know, in the millennium, what, what does it say in the millennium? Beat all your swords into plowshares, right? And all your spears into pruning hooks. That's because they've already done the reverse. <laughs> right? They had they had plowshares to begin with. They had pruning hooks. They made them into weapons of war. Now they gotta redo it. Verse 13. Hasten and come. Don't don't wait. Come now. If you don't come now, you're gonna miss it. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations. Gather yourselves. Bring down your warriors. Again, God commands them to come from every nation. Finally, verse 12, top of page 4. Let the nations stir themselves and come up to the valley of judgment. Right? To the valley where God has judged not the valley where God will judge. The valley where God has judged. All you're doing is you are coming in to meet your judgment. There's no trial. There's no, well, tell me your story. Tell me what you think. Let me, give me your, your reasons. No, none of that. Not here. Now, at the white throne, there will be some where people's works will be brought up. But this is not the white throne judgment this is the Lord's return. It's severe. It's harsh. It's horrible for anyone who is not on the Lord's side. God has called them. Again, here's the, the sarcasm. God called them to battle, but there's not going to be a fight. Come, come fight me. So all these tanks and all these artillery and all the 
cruise missiles and all the planes and everything that the enemy is going to bring and all of the best things that they have and all of the armor that they can invent and every good things that they think they have, lightsabers and everything, right? phasers maybe, I don't know, you know, if the Lord waits long enough, it could be that. You know what? <laughs> you brought them in vain because you'll never use them. There's not going to be one sword swung. There's not going to be one weapon pulled. There's not going to be one missile fired. It's over. But he's calling them to a fight. He's not calling them to a fight, but to a judgment. Revelation 19, as we will read there in our coming weeks, in supporting passages, God does not engage the enemy in a fight. It's not like the movies and I know it's bad for ticket sales God doesn't bring a million man army and tens of millions of angels to engage in a fierce battle with Satan and the Antichrist the false prophet and all the gathered of nation he speaks and it's done out of his mouth he speaks a word and it's over now it is bloody yeah, we'll see that in our passages. Verse 13, put in the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is present. This destruction is horrendous. It will be like nothing anybody has ever even imagined. But the victory... It's glorious. And that's what we see. We see the victory. We see the glory of God revealed in the power of his son. And then comes this, again, it's almost like a taunting cry. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. No, not decision. The word is judgment. Multitudes in the valley of judgment. And it's not just multitudes. It's multitudes, multitudes. It's like you can't even imagine the number of people. This vast group of people who have come. For, here it is, the day of the Lord. That's what we've been talking about in all of this passage. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of judgment. The sun and moon are darkened. The stars withdraw their shining. It's not a valley for battle, it's a valley of judgment. I know we call it the Battle of Armageddon. It's not. It's really better the judgment of Armageddon. There's nothing really of a fight that's going on. Verse 16, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth do quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. This Lord roars, there's, there's a twofold application of these things. His roar and his voice are both challenge and comfort. So the Lord roars from Zion. Listen to Amos chapter 1. I think I put that in your notes, is it there? Yes. Amos chapter 1. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. In other words, this roar is a roar of challenge. It's a roar of judgment. It's a roar of power where God, like a mighty lion, is standing there roaring against his challenger. And his challenger is defeated. But then Hosea uses the same phrasing and speaks of comfort. So even as the lion roars against those who would dare challenge him, he's also comforting to those who are his own. Hosea 11, verse 10. They shall go after the Lord, but he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west, and they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. His roar is gathering his own. 
I like to watch Discovery Channel and all the lion and predator things. Yeah. But one of the things, you know, and I, I don't understand how the, the cubs can tell the difference between the roar that the lion makes. And, and, but there are times when her roar makes them hide. And there's times when her roar draws them out and tells them it's safe. And so this is God's roar. There's times her roar will cause challengers to walk away, even those who are bigger than her. And she will challenge. And so God roars from Zion, challenging anyone who opposes, comforting all those who believe in him, all those who are his. And what does it say in the last passage there at the end of verse 16? He is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. This is their secure place. God is our security. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous do what? Run to it. And they're saved. The name of the Lord is that strong tower. So we, we look to that. Now thank God, as I've been saying all along, we'll see this but from behind. It's all be in front of us. But for those who have resisted, those who have rejected the Messiah, this will be a time of incredible, incredible disaster. Beyond anything that we can imagine in our minds, which we'll see more of next week. Isn't this fun? Yeah. The second coming how much of scripture i mean i didn't go through all of these scriptures but look how much of scripture is directed toward this second coming it's it's one one end of the bible to the end it's it's through passages it's little verses it's long passages over and over god talks about it but the unfortunate thing is most of the church never hears it very few churches teach this material. Yeah, I know. There's, there's a, a handful of people that of our acquaintance, we know churches that do, but go throughout the earth and find that this is taught very rarely, if at all. Whole denominations that don't believe you should teach it at all. But it's what God wants us to hear. Why? Because in a day like we're living in, what a comfort this is. Don't ask me. Well, do you think Ukraine and all this stuff is this it is? Is that right? I don't know. You know when I'm going to know? When the Lord appears, and I can look back and say, "Yep, that was it." Sure enough. Yep. But uh, I don't know. But I know one thing. It's got our attention. God has got our attention. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord God, that you bring us encouragement. Father, we are your people. You are our refuge. You are a stronghold in our time of trouble, in our time of need. And Father, we know that we will see your glorious triumph, even as all the nations of the world gather against you, against your purpose, against the Lamb. But you will overcome, and you will be exalted. And we thank you, Father God, for giving us wisdom in our life, helping us to share this message to people who need to hear. Today is the day of salvation. Don't delay. And we thank you, Father God, for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
All right. Now we prayed before class for Don, but if some of you want to come and, and join Jan or and Rita or however, you know, as you continue to intercede for Don um, Turner, uh, and maybe there may be a couple other prayer needs. So anybody who's got a prayer need, you're welcome to come. And uh, Jan will be here.